Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 101, and today we are talking about books released on April 4th, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcat, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hi. I, I almost said episode 101, like, hello, this is the Earl Starter episode. Like, this is where you <laughs> learn how to listen to the podcast. I don't know. It didn't look right to 101. me. I started to books. panic. <laughs> <laughs> I bet if we titled our podcast, like, Books 101, we would get a bunch of listeners, but then people would send us angry emails like, you're not teaching me anything. <laughs> I don't know. I leave the house so infrequently. You're pretty much the only person I talk to besides my boyfriend that, like, <laughs> It it makes a difference. I don't say words out loud anymore unless I'm speaking to the cats. So it, I was like, what is that number? I don't know how to say it. Speaking of 100 things, we still have oh, hey there. 100th episode shirts left. You can get them at teespring.com slash ATB100. They're only $16. All the proceeds go to everylibrary.org. Available through April 17th. Just wanted to get that out of the way. Yes, do it. Yeah. Also, um, another little housekeeping thing. Uh, if you hear a chainsaw noise in the background, um, despite what you might think, I am not uh, the saw the saw villain. Um, my cats are actually making driftwood sculptures. Um, or or there's construction outside my house. One of these things you is You be the decider. <laughs> so you might hear a chainsaw. It's not me, I swear. Um, then that's it. That's what I got. What do you got? How are you today? I'm good. I'm tired. I um, And I didn't quite get a one of our titles finished, but I'll say that when we get there. I had a busy weekend, but it was fun. Amanda and I did a bunch of spring cleaning. Uh, so it's And it's like officially spring here. It's beautiful in Richmond. I got a lot of great time sitting out in the sun reading books last week. So um, I've read a bunch of stuff. This is a really good release week um, for things that are in my wheelhouse. So I'm good. I'm good. I'm still in my jammies. It's Monday morning. You know, it's easing into the week. It's nice to start with you. I'm so jealous. We got 10 inches of snow on Saturday, and then it was 55 and sunny yesterday, and it all melted, and it was like, what was the point of that? (laughs) You know, it's just the world is ending. Just come to the South, and I was going to say I'll feed you pimento cheese and pork, but the whole vegan thing kind of prevents that. (laughs) Yeah, but I'll watch you eat it. That's fine. Why don't we start with books? Okay. Books are good. Um, And this one is so good. My first pick is called American War. I can't talk today. I'm already screwing up. It's called American War by Omar El Khad, and it is so fantastic. It's this incredible dystopian novel about the Second American Civil War. Um, it takes place at the end of the 21st century. There is fighting over fossil fuel. That country mostly decides that it's an outdated method of fuel. 
that they shouldn't use oil anymore. It causes a lot of problems, you know, wars, for instance. Um, and the South is holding out. The South wants to continue using oil. Eventually, around uh, 2074, this leads to serious protests. There is some shooting by the military of protesters, which sparks a war. And now the South is called the MAG. It's Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia. Um, and, of course, M-A-G. So they're called the MAG. And uh, South Carolina used to be a part of this the Southern group, but someone dropped a virus in the state, and now the entire state has been quarantined. Nobody can go in. Nobody can go out. Um, and there is a young girl named Surratt who lives in Louisiana. Uh, most of Louisiana is now underwater. Uh, they live to the north, and she's never known, you know, what life was like before people started fighting. She's six years old. She lives with her twin sister and her brother and her parents. Um, and so they're, they don't want to be involved in this war. They're neither red or blue, like the north is called blue. And... They're um, just sort of living this, like, rustic existence. You know, they have to be very um, very frugal with everything that they have. They have solar panels. They, you know, uh, grow their own food. They have chickens. And sadly, uh, Surratt's father is killed. And her mother doesn't want to move them, but the fighting in the war has come so close to where they are that they end up being put in a camp for displaced persons. And um, they live in this camp for six years. You know, it moves to when Surat is now 12 years old. Um, they get supplies. So now uh, China and the empire are the two, like, ruling powerful um, bodies of government in the world. Um, the empire is comprised of the Middle East and parts of Northern Africa. And they are now sending supplies to the United States. Um, Texas has been uh, reacquired by Mexico. It's like... It's it's a it's a big mess, and so Nasrat's in this camp. She's twelve years old. She's grown to be freakishly tall uh, for a twelve year old, and so she gets teased all the time, um, and just made fun of. And she's nothing like her twin sister, who is beautiful and everyone loves her, and so she feels you know really like an outcast. And she is exploited by a. Uh, they call him a, maybe a benefactor, a man who meets her in the camp and starts training her basically to be a weapon of war. Um, and it is, this book is just, it's unbelievably chilling and important. It's incredible. Um, I watched a, a video with the author and he said, there is nothing in this book that hasn't happened. It just happened to other people and far away. Um, it's so realistic. It's frightening and just incredible. Again, it's called American War by Omar El Akkad. That sounds awesome. Oh, it's so good. And at the same time, you're like, <gasps> for so some reason, scary. I kept seeing it around, but I thought it was nonfiction. Yeah. Well, the cover, the cover, for some reason, I don't know why, I assumed it was nonfiction too. It's just got like okay. barbed wire on the cover and it says American War. And I was like, oh, nonfiction. Nope. Dystopia. Fantastic. I'm here for that. Yes. All right. My first pick this week is What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky by Leslie Nika Arima. This is a debut collection of short stories and probably the new voice that I am most excited about, at least so far in 2017. I cannot wait to read whatever she writes next. Um, some of these short stories are set in Nigeria. Some are set in the U.S. Some of them span both of those locations. And they 
the range of them is really what makes the book remarkable. The voice and the writing are just gorgeous and lyrical, but some of these stories are really straightforward and grounded in reality, like uh, a story about a girl who's been sent to live at her aunt's house, um, and the aunt and the and the girl's cousin are raising a little boy that everyone knows is the cousin's daughter, but they're all pretending that the little boy is the cousin's brother. Um, they Like, they're out at a social event with... Um, socialites in the Nigerian city that they live in and people are looking down on them and the girl is having a rough night and like people aren't texting her back <laughs> and I'm making it sound very casual but we've all been in those like sort of awkward situations or you know these sort of family and social situations and so some of the stories are very you know straightforward like that others of them move into magic realism there's a story where a girl's dead mother appears for one day like she thinks she's hallucinating at first but then she realizes that her father and her sister are also seeing the dead mother and they're talking to her and she's so angry that the mother has died and now is maybe back. She doesn't know what's going on that she like misses the moment um, to stay up all night and talk to her mother. And there's even a folktale about where volcanoes came from that Arima has written originally. Um, just, just a total, really fascinating scope of work to have in a collection of short stories. Um, they're about culture, motherhood, um, womanhood, stuff between mothers and daughters that like really very difficult decisions sometimes that mothers make to protect their daughters from men, from their fathers, from bad situations. Um, and some of the stories are even lightly linked. Like in one story, we hear about a girl being sent to stay with her aunt. And in another story, we spend time with a girl who has been sent to stay with her aunt. Um, but it's a very like gentle touch on where those connections come in. Um, I sat down with it one day last week when it was, when it was beautiful outside. And it was one of those reading experiences that like, I just felt myself sink into the book almost immediately. The writing is so compelling that I didn't know that I was sitting on my front porch in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I was just so completely absorbed. I cannot wait, as I was saying, to, to read whatever Leslie Nika Arima writes next. Um, a really fantastic, just strong debut collection. There wasn't a story in the bunch that I didn't enjoy. Um, and if you've listened to the show for a while, you know that like I like it when stories and collections are pretty consistent lengths, um, and this does that as well. So it satisfied my own like personal weirdnesses about short stories. They're all about the same length. There's not a ninety-page novella thrown in to like get the pace off. You can really like dip in and out and read one story at a time or you can sink into it and read several of them in one go. Um, I read it in almost just one sitting. It's uh, really, really wonderful. Again, it's called When a Man Falls from the... Sorry, What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky by Leslie Nika Arima. It's so good. I it also is have so good. another book of short stories to recommend next week that I think oh, you'll love. Very good. Right now you're going to tell us about our first sponsor. I am. Our first sponsor is Lola, a novel by Melissa Scribner Love. It's an astonishing debut crime thriller about an unforgettable woman who combines the genius and ferocity of Elizabeth Salander with the ruthless ambition of Walter White. The Crenshaw Ooh. Six are a small but up-and-coming gang in south-central L.A. who have recently been drawn into an escalating war between rival drug cartels. To outsiders, the Crenshaw Six appear to be led by a man named Garcia, but the gang's real leader and secret weapon is Garcia's girlfriend, a brilliant young woman named Lola. And I read this. It's great. It's um, it's exactly like they said. She's she's unbelievable. She's incredibly strong. Uh, Publishers Weekly said this book is a powerful read 
At once, an intelligently crafted mystery, a reflection on the cycles of violence and addiction, and a timely meditation on the double standard facing women in authority. And about Lola, they said she's a uniquely compelling anti-hero who commands fear, respect, and adoration in equal measure. So check it out. It's lots of fun. It's out now. Again, it's called Lola by Melissa Scrivener Love. And we thank them for sponsoring. Lisbeth Salander meets Walter White is a Venn diagram that I didn't know I wanted. Yes, it's a true thing. (laughs) That's great. Okay, tell me about our next book because I've been hearing about this and I have held myself off from reading it, but I want you to tell me all about it. Okay. So my next book is Marlena by Julie Bunton. I've been waiting forever for this book to come out. Um, I was at a party in March of 2016, uh, Rufy Thorpe's party, and the host introduced me to Julie Bunton, and she said, she has a book coming out, it's going to blow your mind, you're not going to believe how good it is, get it as soon as you can. So I was like, okay, okay, where is it, where is it, where is it, like waiting forever, so I finally got it at the end of last year, and it was completely worth the wait, it's so good, it's her debut novel, it's gorgeous, it's fantastic, it's smart, I love it so much. It's about a 15-year-old girl named Kat. Uh, She lives with her mom and brother. Her dad has left the family, and things have gone terribly wrong for them financially. Um, And also, her mother has started drinking a lot. Um, And they move to rural Michigan, and they move into this very poor neighborhood. Um, Their house is is not impressive at all. It's kind of, their neighborhood is kind of gross. But they are not as poor as their next-door neighbors, who, as far as she can tell, are a 17-year-old girl named Marlena and her little brother. Um, and they, they, it seems, like, very difficult over there. There's a lot of men that come and go. Nobody seems to be the grown-up there. Um, but Kat is just transfixed by Marlena. She, Marlena is absolutely beautiful. And she wants Kat wants to be friends with her. Um, Kat is, you know, she's like I said, she's 15. Because of the move and things that have happened, she's not attending school that semester. She's just hanging around the house. She starts smoking. Um, and she eventually becomes best friends with Marlena, and they just have, like, the most amazing friendship, you know, like a girls-on-fire kind of relationship, um, and they are the best of friends, and then Marlena dies. I'm not giving anything away, like, it's right on the cover there, that's the whole story. Um, they have, like, a year of friendship, and Marlena dies, she drowns, and so now, two decades later, Kat is living in New York City, she's got this fancy life, and she receives a phone call from a person from their past, and they want to talk to Kat about Marlena. And it sort of brings up all these memories that she realizes, like, hadn't actually left her, that the ghost of Marlena has been shaping her life, you know, all these years, decades later. Um, And it's also about, like, how the truth is seen through adult eyes, you know, like, things that you didn't realize when you were young. Um, When you look back on them, like, oh, that's how that really is. And it's just, like, this incredible story of friendship and, you know, being haunted by your past. Again, it's called Marlena by Julie Bunton. Oh, okay. Well, speaking of chainsaw noises, my neighbor has decided to mow his lawn right next to my (laughs) office. So I don't know how the cat's sculptures are going, but I apologize for unpredictable background sounds that are happening. It's warm weather. This is real life on all the books this week. (laughs) Mm. Um, Speaking of real life, I probably should have mentioned that I had a Red Bull right before we started recording. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess apologies to Kyle for who knows what's going to happen in the rest of this episode <laughs> i don't um, usually yeah. but this you know we're recording earlier than normal and i was like i need to get through the morning <laughs> oh um 
I've been seeing Marlena around and I was wondering if you were going to compare it to Girls on Fire. So I was really glad to hear that. Yeah. Uh, it's My next pick this week is the one that I haven't finished reading quite yet, but it's so fantastic. And I, you have assured me that it will continue to be fantastic. And I trust I that. So her. I'm going to recommend it anyway. It's A Little More Human by Fiona Mazelle. Uh, rhymes with gazelle, as you were telling me before the show. Yes, that's um, pretty much how she introduced herself to me. <laughs> so that's great. Uh, it's spelled M-A-A-Z-E-L if you go looking for this uh, online. Uh, I loved her previous novel, Woke Up Lonely, which is like a very uh, quiet and like ennui-filled look at a cult leader. So great. Uh, her writing is always weird, but in a very real way. The blurb on the cover of A Little More Human uses the word cocksure, and that is like the best description for the way that she writes. I can't try to beat it. Um, so A Little More Human is mostly about a guy named Phil. He's in his mid-30s. He's a decent man. He's a nurse at a fancy Staten Island medical facility where they're doing like cutting-edge uh, neurological treatments and like biotechnology. But his personal life is completely in shambles. His wife is pregnant when the book begins with a baby that she had IVF for, but without telling him that she was going to do any of it. Um, he didn't really want kids. He did not know that she was going to have the procedure or that she had just decided that they were having this baby. He has been mad at her for the last nine months and now the baby is due any minute and he is still mad and not sure what he's going to do. Uh, he moonlights as a superhero named Brainstorm. Like There has been a film about a bunch of superheroes. One of them is named Brainstorm. He has a job where he dresses up as Brainstorm and pretends to read people's minds, except he's not actually pretending he can sort of read people's thoughts. Like uh, the book describes him as accessing a blank chalkboard in his mind where he can see what other people are thinking. And it's just presented as like, this is normal for Phil, which is one of those ways that Fiona Mazel makes real life and, you know, unreal life, like being able to read minds feel completely believable in a, in a connected way. And now photos have turned up of Phil in his brainstorm costume or like kind of in his brainstorm costume in a very compromising and potentially very upsetting situation with a woman. He doesn't know who she is. He doesn't remember any of the things in the pictures happening. And he's trying to put together like where these pictures came from. Is someone trying to blackmail him? Who is this woman? Did he rape someone? And he doesn't know like his whole everything is going very sideways for Phil. Um, we also spend time with a woman named Ada. She is trying to scam Phil's friend Ben out of $60,000 um, using like basically a love scam. Like she's been reading websites that tell women how to seduce men and get them to give you money. Um, and where we hang out with her, but we get to find out also that Ada's and Phil's lives are weirdly very intertwined. Ada goes to work for Ben's father, who was like a genius doctor, um, but is now suffering from dementia. And he's a hoarder. He lives in this like trailer that's filled with stuff. He has books about the Collier brothers. So, like he knows what his situation is, but he can't stop. And all of their lives are just like mixed up. And there's this mystery at the heart of it, like, because the father is also involved in something. 
he's getting messages from people that he doesn't know who they are and he doesn't remember. And we don't know if it's, he doesn't remember because dementia or if because there's something really shady going on or both of those things. Uh, it's just so like, she just taps into sort of existential angst in a really wonderful way. Um, woke up lonely, did that as well. And, but, in, but not in the like naval gazy literary fiction existential angst way. I don't quite know how to explain it other than that. Like this is existential angst. That's really fun to read. Fiona Mazel's characters are just so human which I guess a little more human is a great title uh, in that way. They're just so human and twisty turny and they have good intentions, but they're also kind of terrible people. Um, and they're not the most likable, but the story is really compelling. It's just very complex. And she takes readers right into all these complex, twisty turny people's lives and plops you into the middle of them. And you're like, this is great. Uh, I think this one in particular would like, this is an HBO series that I really want to watch. Uh, the book is just phenomenal. Her writing just moves the Things right along. Um, but the characters are just these people that you're, you're like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't be totally surprised if it turns out that like this guy I kind of know is really a fill, you know, like everybody knows someone like that. You're like, of course he would moonlight as a superhero and then like have sex with a woman in the woods in his superhero costume. Um, yeah. But these like sort of secret, it's like the secrets. I was trying to find the right words for it. Like <laughs> sort of the seedy things, like secret seedy or unsavory things in a lot of people's lives that we just don't usually look at and talk about. And Fiona Maisel just like brings it right out. It's so fantastic. Um, so again, the book is called A Little More Human by Fiona Mazel, M-A-A-Z-E-L. I wouldn't doubt if the character of Brainstorm is based on her because she can probably read minds because Fiona Mazel is a genius. And if you stand too close to her, your eyeballs will start to get hot because she is melting them with her smarts. Like, <laughs> her brain is incredible. She's amazing. She is. It's really awesome. And she's with Grey Wolf, which does such fantastic oh, yes. fiction, um, really worth taking a look at. But yeah, I loved A Little More Human. Or I'm loving it so far. I'm going to finish it this afternoon. Speaking of brains and other body parts, my next pick <laughs> is called Ragdoll by Daniel Cole. This book is so much fun. It puts the ew in gruesome. It's about <laughs> a detective named William Fox, also known as the Wolf. He has returned to work after a suspension. He assaulted a man who was later vindicated. He was proven innocent. Um, and they've suspended him. He got really upset about it. He ended up in a psych ward. Um, he's now under uh, he's under the care of a psychiatrist. He's back on the force. Um, he, his former partner is Emily Baxter. She is so kick-ass. I love this woman. Um, she calls him because she's like, hey, I have a body here. But <laughs> it's a body made of six other bodies. So could you come look at this? Because, ew. So that's upsetting. Yeah, but it's so gross, but it's so awesome. Um, and so he goes over and they're like, this is crazy. These parts all belong to different people. So out there somewhere, there are six people missing these parts. So they're like, this is weird. And we think we should keep it hush hush. Like, let's not let's not reveal any of these details. So, of course, immediately photos are leaked to the like famous news reporter in town who also happens to be Fox's ex-wife. So because of, of course she is. Um, and not only does she receive photos, but she also receives a list of six names. And it says, these people are going to die at this time on this day. And the very last name on that list, William Fox himself. 
So mm. now Baxter and her new partner are trying to figure out like who the pieces of this body belong to and also trying to offer protection to the other people on this list before something else happens. Meanwhile, Fox is doing his own investigation and he realizes that there is a lot more relation to him. This case is like more related to him than he wants to let anybody know about. Like there's some he knows some of these people. Um he's trying to keep that secret and also in his own way discover who the killer is. This book goes at breakneck speed. It's also very funny. Like it's just ridiculous, but I'm not gonna lie, it's a little ridiculous. Like serial like things like this don't really happen in real life. If we had serial killers like this, we should all just like go in in bunkers under the ground and never come out because that would be alarming, like the kind of things that this guy pulls off. But it's so fun. It's so much fun. If you like Luther, if you like those like tormented detectives, um, it, it's it's just a really great read. Again, it is called Ragdoll by Daniel Cole. Mm, that beginning. I also, I think we're going to see a lot more of him. I think this is just the beginning. What was the Lauren Bucus book that had the serial killer that was like sewing body parts onto animals? Was that Broken, Broken Monsters? Mo- was that Broken Monsters? Yeah. yeah, that's what that beginning part reminded like, me of. Wait, wait, there's the time-traveling serial killer, and then there's the, the sewing oh, serial right. All Lauren Bucus books are about <laughs> serial killers. Yeah, Broken um, Monsters. Yeah, uh, like that. Okay. Time for our next sponsor. Uh, our next sponsor this week is Things I Should Have Known. It's by Claire Lezebnik, and it's on sale now. Um, she is the author of Epic Fail, and this is the story of Chloe Mitchell, a girl who's on a quest to find love for her sister who has autism. Her sister's name is Ivy. Ethan, Ivy's classmate, seems like the perfect match. It's unfortunate that his older brother, David, is one of Chloe's least favorite people. But Chloe can deal, especially when she realizes that David is as devoted to Ethan as she is to Ivy. Winsome and Witty, this is a novel about sisterhood, autism, and first love. Things I Should Have Known will steal your heart and remind you of all, uh, remind us all of a different kind of normal. Um, the book deals with intersectionality of autism and sexuality. Um, rather than just being only defined by autism or only defined by sexuality, Things I Should Have Known illustrates how multifaceted people can be, but it's, it does it in a light way. This isn't a heavy read. Family is really big in the book. Um, all families were created differently. And this book not only shows that, but it also looks at how family love can operate in different ways. And it has that matchmaking gone wrong element that like Emma and Clueless and some of the other really fun stories and movies that we know have enjoyed. And everybody loves a matchmaking plot, especially with some capers. Uh, So again, the book is Things I Should Have Known. It's by Claire Lezebnik and it's on sale now. All right. All right. My next pick this week, I am really, really excited about this book. It's called Everybody Yoga. It's by Jessamine Stanley. Um, If you are into yoga, but you're not following Jessamine online, I recommend that you do that immediately. She started on, like she became famous on Instagram. Um, She is a self-described fat black woman and she started posting pictures of herself doing yoga asana, which is the yoga poses um, in very little clothing. Like she's in her underwear doing yoga pretty frequently. And so this is revolutionary because most people are not accustomed to seeing people who don't look, who aren't like skinny blonde women doing yoga on the internet. And that's a problem. That's not what yoga is about. Um, Jessamine was like, this is my body. My body is capable of doing yoga. That means your body is capable of doing yoga. Um, and she's sort of leading a revolution for 
access to yoga for people of all colors and body types and even uh, disability experience, all sorts of things. The book is really founded on the idea, um, which is central to yoga, that all bodies are yoga bodies, that anyone can access the benefits of having a yoga practice, um, and that all of the poses can be modified in ways that either make them more difficult or more accessible to your body. The book has personal essays about Jessamine's life, about her childhood, about how she came to yoga, about struggles that she's had um, with food and with exercise and self-esteem and being a fat black woman in this world, um, also mixed with information about the history of yoga and sort of a light introduction to the philosophical and spiritual principles of yoga. Um, the book is also illustrated with photos of people of various body types and genders doing foundational yoga poses and sequences. So she explains, like, this is downward facing dog. Here's how to get yourself into it. Here's how to get yourself out of it. If you can't do it comfortably in the standard way, here's how to modify the pose to make it so that your body can do it. There's a whole bunch of those, and there are sequences for, uh, like, I, I love how... Um, just not unassuming, what's the word? Unpretentious. Her voice is that uh, one of the yoga sequences is called, I need to chill the F out. And it's like, these are, this is a series of poses to do when you need to be calmer uh, or I need to wake up or I need to feel, uh, I need to feel strong or I need to feel balanced. Um, so if you're developing a home yoga practice, if you've never done yoga before, maybe going to yoga class has seemed scary, or you think that your body is not strong enough or flexible enough or pretty enough or whatever to do yoga. Yoga. You can pick up this book, you can read about the poses, roll out a mat at home, and put together your own sequences. She also has fantastic videos online, so you can follow her um, and let her be your yoga teacher. I sincerely recommend this, whether you are new to yoga, thinking about yoga, or an experienced practitioner. There's information here and a reminder of what yoga is really all about. Um, it's really fantastic. Um, the book, again, is Everybody Yoga, two words, Everybody, by Jessamine Stanley. Does she have instructions for what to do if you fall over and can't get back up? <laughs> um, I believe that then you just lie down on your back in Shavasana, which is corpse pose. And you just <gasps> claim to be, you meditate. You didn't I tell me there was a corpse pose. I'm so excited now. <laughs> I want to do that one. That, this is metal <laughs> yoga. <laughs> yeah. My boyfriend does yoga. And like his mother was over the other day and we said like, oh, you know, he has to go to yoga. And she's like, do you do yoga? And then we all had a really good laugh. <laughs> <So it's> like, <laughs> No, I no, I don't. I'm way too lazy and won't put the book down. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would be happy to hear about restorative yoga, which involves a lot of blankets and pillows. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah, I actually I got sore helping Amanda paint yesterday, and so I was telling Bob this morning, like I'm not going to my normal like you know exercisey yoga class today. I'm going to a restorative class, and he was like, "What's restorative?" And I was like, "Well, there's blankets," and he was like, "Wait, there are blankets in yoga." <laughs> It's like, oh, now you're interested. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Bring us home, Liv. Yes. Last round. So this last pick came out a few few months ago, a couple months ago. Um, I just got it. I just read it. I am so unbelievably in love with it and just blown away by it. I had to tell you about it. It's called My Favorite Thing is Monsters by Emile Ferris. It's a four, like almost 400-page graphic novel. The artwork in this novel is so unbelievable. You look at it and it, it, you don't know how anybody could do this. Uh, her artwork is so incredible. 
And it's about a young girl named Karen. She's 10 years old. It takes place in Chicago in the late 60s. Um, Karen's upstairs neighbor has died. They say that she has been shot, but it doesn't make any sense. Or that she has shot herself, but it doesn't make any sense. Some of the details, like about how the door is locked and all the stuff. And so now Karen who fancies herself a bit of a detective, because, you know, she's 10. She thinks that her upstairs neighbor has been murdered. And so she decides she's going to investigate. Um, and, like, Karen is, like I said, she's 10. She's obsessed with monsters and B-movies, like B-horror movies. Um, she wants to be an artist like her much older brother who lives with her and her mother. Um, and she starts keeping this journal of what she learns about the case of her upstairs neighbor. And not just about, like, the investigation but also about her upstairs neighbor's life it turns out that she is a holocaust survivor um she has a lot of secrets in her past so karen is drawing this journal she draws herself as a wolfman she's like a little tiny wolfman in a trench coat and a hat and that's how she sees herself because kids are very cruel to her um she's treated differently and so she sees herself as a monster but she thinks monsters are awesome and strong so she she draws all of her surroundings. She goes to the Museum of Art in Chicago, and she draws the paintings. I mean, I cannot stress enough how amazing the illustrations are in this book. Um, and it's just this incredible look at real-life trauma and violence, you know, as seen through the eyes of a child. Um, and I listened to an interview with Emile Ferris. She was on Fresh Air last week, and... She, her, like the more I learn about this book, the more incredible it is. This idea came from some hallucinations that she was having. She got West Nile virus. Like at her birthday party, she was bit by a mosquito and she got West Nile and she was paralyzed. And at some point, she couldn't speak. She was like trapped in her head. This was like 15 years ago, and she started hallucinating all these things. And this is where this idea for the book came from. And she was very lucky. She survived. She came out of it. She she does have to walk with a cane now, but she she can get around. And, you know, a lot of people aren't that lucky when they contract West Nile. Um, and, and, you know, and, and she feels that way. You can tell when she's talking. Um, but she also grew up in Chicago. And this is sort of like in relation to her neighborhood, like a lot of what she saw, a lot of the people who lived there and not only that, but this book was supposed to be out in October originally, but then the shipping company that was bringing the books by boat to the U.S. like went out of business, like in the middle of the shipping. Oh, and, I read about this. Yes, and it was essentially the ship was arrested by the Panamanian government and impounded. So, like her books were inside the ship that sat for months, like at this dock. And we're finally released in, in February. Like, she's been waiting all this time. But also, when she turned this book in, it was 600 pages. If you see, like, the detail in these illustrations, you cannot believe that there are 600 pages of them. I mean, you can't believe there are 400 pages of them that you're holding in your hand. Um, but, so, I have some bad news. The book is currently unavailable. Um, it's that NPR bump. Oh. No, it, it just, it's out everywhere. However... It's been picked up to be a movie, and there's also a sequel coming out in October. So I don't doubt for a second that they're going to reprint it. Like, I'm sure that they're probably going to, but it's a very small publisher, so they probably have no idea, like, when they're going to have a new run of it. But do anything you can to get your hands on this. Don't break the law, or if you do, don't say it was my idea. Because it's, <laughs> it's so amazing. I was very lucky. I was visiting a friend at a bookstore. And she was, she was working there, and she pulled this book out of the box, and I was like, oh, I've been meaning to get that. Can I have it? And she was like, sorry, this was ordered for somebody else. And I was like, oh. 
So I looked through it and I was like, oh yeah, I definitely need this. And then when I went to visit Oblong Books last weekend, they had a copy. I was like, yay, I got it. And then like, boom, gone. Everybody's like, how did you get that? I was like, I got very lucky. So like, call your indie bookstores, call around, check it out, get a copy. It's $40. It's worth twice as much. It's amazing. Again, it's called My Favorite Thing is Monsters by Emile Ferris. That is just a banana story. Yeah, her whole life is incredible. I also <laughs> recommend listening to her Fresh Air interview. I mean, she's so interesting. I cannot, <sighs> cannot get over these illustrations. Just amazing. Uh, coming from deep within my wheelhouse is my final selection this week. Uh, it's the a new edition of the selected writings of John Muir with an introduction by Terry Tempest Williams. <laughs> It's a new uh, edition out from Everyman's Library. It is a gorgeous hardcover. Um, Muir, if you're unfamiliar, was the founder of the modern environmental conservation movement. Um, this contains dozens, if not hundreds, of his essays about his childhood, about his life and work, about how he fell in love with nature. Many of them are about Yosemite, which is a, a place that is just beloved for him. Uh, and he was also core to sort of the development of the the idea of America's national parks and celebrating what they mean. Um, the introduction by Terry Tempest Williams really puts him in context. Muir was a man of his time, and many of the original works contain uh, it, statements that reveal to us that he was privileged for his time, and he, ha he conveys ideas that we consider racist and sexist today. And Terry says, essentially, we should not dismiss these works, but we should take the seeds that he plants, basically. Look at me, I'm doing environmental metaphors. Um, <laughs> the seeds that he plants of ideas about what nature and conservation mean to people, what it is to be outside, why that's really important, and you know, update them and expand them and move them forward into today. Um, so this is kind of a foundation text of the conservation movement. Um, I've read, like, handfuls of Muir's essays just in random places. If you read about nature stuff at all um, in the U.S., it's basically impossible to get through anything without reading quotes or references to him. But this was, it's very comprehensive. It's huge. I have not finished this whole collection. Um, I'm sort of bouncing back and forth um, from sections that sound familiar and new things. I went straight to the Yosemite section because I was like, tell me all about national parks. Um, and then I went backwards. Uh, so you can just sort of dip in and out of it. It's definitely a book that that's uh, better, I think, that way than just devoured like 800 pages in one go, um, unless you're Liberty. Uh, but it's it's wonderful. I think if you're into the environment and conservation, you no, would do ew, well. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, you have to, you do have to leave your house. <laughs> um, just kidding. Or you could watch a good like National Parks documentary. Mm. That's <laughs> There you go. There are some of those on Netflix. Um, but this is a good thing to put on your shelf of books about the environment and about nature. So again, it is the new edition from Every Man's Library of the Selected Writings of John Weir with an introduction by Terry Tempest Williams. Yay! And before we do our what are we going to read next, we have paperback shout outs this week. It's a special week because a million books that we loved have come out in paperback um, and a million great new books were coming out. So we didn't do segments on the paperback. So we're just going to quickly each do a couple that we loved. Um, Sweet Bitter by Stephanie Dandler about a young woman who moves to New York and gets a job at a fancy restaurant and sort of like behind the scenes of that environment. We both really loved that. Um, Rising Strong by Brene Brown, who's one of my you know like personal spiritual teachers um, who writes about vulnerability and risk-taking and uh, being authentic in your relationship 
relationships. That's out in paperback and shrill by Lindy West, a collection of essays about uh, feminism, essentially feminism and media and culture. We both really liked her as well. There's also White Trash, the 400-year untold history of class in America by Nancy Eisenberg, which is so, so fantastic. Um, And All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr is out in paperback. Finally. Yeah, it came out in hardcover on May 6, 2014. So three years later, coming out in paperback. Um, it puts it up there with, like, The Da Vinci Code and Gone Girl mm-hmm. in in length of time between hardcover and paperback. Amazing. And also The Last Days of Jack Spark by Jason Arnop, which is a book I talked about when it came out in hardcover. Um, and I just learned that uh, Ron Howard is directing the film, which I find oh. interesting. I, I've never seen a scary Ron Howard film. I don't know that he's made one. So I'm very curious to see what he does with that. So, oh, oh, and The Nest. The Nest is coming out, too. Oh. Yes. By uh, Cynthia Sweeney. So... All kinds of good things in paperback this week. Good, good stuff. Okay, so now what are you going to read next? Okay, so this is going to be very long and convoluted, and I'm sorry. But so you know that thing like when you're reading and like in this book, there's like a raccoon bank robber who drives away in a Plymouth Fury. And then in the next book, there's another story that involves a raccoon bank robber that drives away in a Plymouth Fury. And you're like, wow, it's so crazy how that happens. Like when you read Uh two similar things in a book, it happens to me all the time. So, I read The Cruel Prince by Holly Black a few days ago, which is about fairies, and I was like, wow, I love the fairy lore. Like, I love those stories, like how, you know, they can't be near iron, and they trick you, and they can't tell lies, and like, I love that kind of stuff. I was like, I want to read more books with fairies. I've only read, like, Jonathan Strange and, you know, Little Big. Um, And so I asked the internet to tell me some titles about fairies, like their favorite books with fairies in them. And it turns out that I owned seven of them. They were upstairs in my library, which is why, like, when people say, why do you buy books? It's like, for all kinds of reasons, that included. I'm like, surprise! It was like shopping upstairs at my house. Um, And then that afternoon, I was approved for a new book called The Good People by Hannah Kent, which is a story about fairies and a changeling. And I was like, what are the odds? But (laughs) it gets even crazier because later, the next day, my boyfriend wanted to watch a Peter O'Toole film, and he was Googling them, and he pulled up one about fairies, where he, it's based on the true story about those two girls that faked the photograph, you know, many, many, many years ago, and Arthur Conan Doyle was very interested to see this, because he really wanted to believe in fairies. So, just, like, fairies all over the place this week. Crazy. So, I'm going to read this Hannah Kent book, and then those other seven books that I had upstairs. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) I don't have a story. Um, I have just, I did decide um, that I'm going to do a yoga training this fall and there are a bunch of books for it. So like a good student, I'm starting my reading in April for a class that starts in August. Um, so I'm going to read The Wisdom of Yoga by Stephen Cope, um, which grounds the teachings of the Yoga Sutras, um, which is one of the foundational texts of yoga into contemporary essays and stories from real people's lives. I'm going to Google the corpse pose as soon as we're done. You just lie down on your back and close your eyes. <gasps> and then you're yoga Mm-hmm. And be like, I'm doing yoga. Yay! <laughs> you, <laughs> and then I'll spring it on you that part of that is meditating. Oh, tricky. <laughs> I've I been know. tricked. <laughs> I don't want to do anything healthy. Stealth meditation is the only way we're going to get you to do it. It's like ambush meditation for liberty. Where you knock me unconscious. 
All right. That's our show. Thanks again to our sponsors, Lola by Melissa Scrivener Love and Things I Should Have Known by Claire Lezebnik. We'll have links to both of those in the show notes, or you can find them wherever books are sold. If you have something to say to us, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com or hit us up on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. If you've got a minute to rate or review the show on iTunes, we certainly appreciate that. And it helps listeners who are looking for book shows on iTunes to find their way to us because magic algorithms. And if you want to snag our hundredth episode t-shirt that's available through April 17th, go to teespring.com slash ATB100. They are $16 a piece and again all the proceeds go to everylibrary.org and as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today and books in general we just don't have the time but you can read about more book more book titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter and in the meantime in the meantime happy, happy reading, reading.